now. This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. First edition news with Mark Van Aken in a minute, but what a week ahead in just one week's time. We'll be reviewing the result of the crucial World Cup qualifying tie between Australia and Japan. And of course, in tonight's show, we're going to dissect and predict what we think or even hope will happen. But we're also going straight to the source with our man in Japan, Fox Sports Asia, Scott McIntyre, to set the scene. Then with the news that the Professional Footballers Association executive has resolved to make funds from the PFA's Special Assistance Fund available to players from the recently closed FFA Centre of Excellence, we're going to talk to CEO John Didelitzer again to see how this will help a group of players who have been effectively, in many people's opinion, hung out to dry. And of course, we'll wrap up the first hour, as we always do with our man Dean Hennessy, to talk through this week's FFA Cup in the second hour. Of course, we'll kick off with second edition news and a chat with Melbourne Victory's James Donachie after their disappointing and unexpected hammering at the hands of Adelaide this week in the FFA Cup, but with a promising A-League season ahead. Then Dino returns to look at the international scene. Wayne Rooney departing that very international scene. We're going to get into that as well, and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. Michael Edgley, um, in our text exchange last night, uh, you were a very happy camper with the result of one particular uh, match. Absolutely. Um, fantastic result by Adelaide United over Melbourne Victory. That was not the one I was talking about. Give me a break. Any of our regular South listeners Melbourne know you. Sorrento. What, was, what was it? South uh, Melbourne beat that um, juggernaut, Sorrento. Mm. Yeah, yeah, don't mm. be but what about the Burgers? I mean, what, you, what about the Burgers? Jamie Harnwell's obviously never coming on the show. That's fine. Keep going. Mm. Um, and the Burgers. Uh, absolutely. Heidelberg United, that's right, my mob, uh, on penalties. They did it the hard way, but they got through. Um, and uh, they survive to the final eight, along with, obviously, South Melbourne. So two former NSL Melbourne Giants have made it through to the final eight. I know we're going to spend a lot of time with Dean talking through that. Lots of discussion points out of that. But the week ahead, Rob, it's all about our Socceroos Mm. and what is ahead of us uh, in Tokyo. Obviously, I'm heading across with uh, quite a large group uh, with our Green and Gold Army business. We're very excited about that. Mm. And um, based on what Ante Milicic said to us last week on the program Mm. and what Ange Postacoglu said during the week. Um, pin the ears back. Uh, <laughs> the press is on and we're going for goals. So expect a pretty exciting battle. Um, I'm really been... looking forward to talking to Scott McIntyre because... Yeah, because uh, it'll uh, be interesting to see his view of this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because Japan, remember, and, and it was really interesting uh, when Ange Postacoglu spoke to the press during the week when he, he actually admitted that uh, the game at the Docklands caught, uh, the, the Socceroos coaching team were a little bit caught off guard by mm. Japan sitting back and, and handing mm. possession to the Socceroos mm. and obviously they were able to get behind us in space and uh, we wouldn't want them to do that on their home dig in Saitama would we Mark? We certainly would not but uh, look just got to go there these games are always intense they're an absolute pressure cooker looking forward to hearing from Scott on exactly what the uh, mindset is of the Japanese people the Japanese media and maybe an insight for the Japanese team as well because word is if they don't get a result and help me out with the coach of Japan but apparently if he doesn't win this game or doesn't sorry loses this game might get the flick which is pretty amazing since they're still very much in the frame to qualify for the World Cup. Well, there's a lot of pressure around them, isn't there? But they've got a tough Saudi Arabia, I believe, in the last game. Yeah, the Serbian coach, um, he's under pressure, there's no question. So if the Socceroos can roll them, uh, Rob's getting his name up uh, because we're all avoiding saying his name because it's an absolute (laughs) monster. Exactly, but (laughs) he 
Hahil Hodzic. That's it. Hahil Hodzic. 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 That's yeah, the one. Of course, the Bosnian. Yeah. He did a fantastic job. Yeah, he did a fantastic job uh, mm-hmm. against us at the Docklands. Mm-hmm. He, I thought he, uh, I thought he took. Uh, oh, we were the, mugged that night, effectively yeah, we in, in every sense of the word. We, we were, because, we were yeah. uh, you know, the uh, the crowd they stretched uh, us, didn't they? Well, and, and the, well, I'm I'm talking about you know off the pitch as well that uh, you know the crowd didn't turn up. Uh, the, uh, the well, they turned up, they just didn't support. Yeah. Well, no, well, they didn't turn up in particularly big numbers. There yes, were plenty they of empty did. There seats. was forty-five thousand. There were plenty there of people complaining. Seats. Well, ten thousand empty seats at a no, seven thousand empty seats and some standing room at an Australia. The, the capacity for that venue is 55,000 um, mm-hmm. with restricted viewing seats sold. Um, mm-hmm. I was there for the British and yeah, Irish and there's Lions. there's a lot of standing room as well. We're the point in it. being yep. that for a blockbuster match like that, we shouldn't have empty seats. And the fewer Japanese supporters that were there made a lot more noise than us. You're right, because in the standing room, there was non-existent because I got actually tickets yeah. through Nike that night. I thought, oh, mm. I got Nike tickets, you beauty. And they were the worst seats in the house on mm. the corner, 20 rows back. So I said to the, the bloke who got them for me from Ultra Football, I said, I'm going to go stand on the wing if it's okay with you so I can actually mm-hmm. see the game. Junk it. Junket. Yeah, it wasn't was, a junket. Oh, if I had junket. good seats, it would have been a junket. junket. That's what I'm going to say. He, he, he's him talking about junkets. What's your prediction, Mark? <laughs> oh, prediction? Oh, point. A point. Mm. One all. Mm. Come on, Mark. Give us the news. There's a lot going on. No, no, there is. Yeah. Well, of course, the news is about what we are just talking about. Ange Postacoglu has finalised his 23-man squad for this crucial game against Japan. And, of course, the crucial one at Amy Park. The biggest omission in a, is soccer skipper Mila Yednek, who has uh, only just returned to full fitness after undergoing surgery for a groin injury, as is Bayich, Adam Federici, Aidan Hrustik, Jamie, Jimmy Jego, or Yimmy Jego, as I like to call him, Matt Yerman and Riley McGree with the other players left out of the initial 30-man squad. We'll get to you in a sec, mate. Danny Vukovic and Awamobile are the only two in the final 23 without a cap to their name. Good on Millet for putting his hand up and saying, you know what, Gaffer, I'm not quite fit and I'm really not yeah. up for these games. Well, yeah. you would expect him to, but the big one for me is Aziz Beach. Unless he's injured, we don't know anything about that. But uh, I thought he has performed admirably whenever he's got an opportunity for the Socceroos in recent times. I think he's stiff and uh, I'm surprised at that. Yeah, he did well in Adelaide, didn't he? And um, did well, and, you know, in that second half went particularly too, when he yeah. came on, and yeah, and in the Confederations yeah, Cup. But, but played, I think played yeah. a, a good game against uh, Chile. Yeah. Mm. Well, someone had to miss out. Well, that's they true. did, didn't they? Yeah. But what about um, Anwar Mabil, Marco? That's a that's a pretty good story. No, it is, and he's not captain. Who knows? I mean, don't forget these twenty-three. Not all of them are going to play. Mm. That said, you do essentially need not quite two squads, but one and a half squads mm. for the two games, and. I think I'm a bit nervous about the fact, yes, we're going to be up for Japan, but everyone seems to just think we're going to come to Amy Park and walk all over Thailand. Now, mm. we probably will. Did and, you realise Thailand's been playing in the uh, in a regional competition and uh, they've sort of been playing against the teams that are uh, two or three like steps below? Asian or something, yeah. Yeah, but they've been flogging them. And uh, they've been, they're in good form, Thailand. I know there's one person in this studio that's been talking up Thailand in the face of some fairly stiff... The stuff. elephants. Um, uh, Is know, that you? Well, yeah, well, it has been me, actually. Um, yeah, have you the, looked at the group, though? Like, uh, to counter my argument there, they're bottom of the group. And they're awful. Yeah. And we don't have to play in Thailand where so it's, you Rob know, Gilbert's going to pick Thailand. Degrees. Rob Gilbert's going to pick Thailand yeah. to beat Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. We're well, not playing them in Darwin, uh, mate. I, I, playing I, them in I've, Melbourne. I've always said they were a threat. Have you been outside today, mate? I don't think the Tigers are going to get off the plane and be particularly happy with the weather. Anywho, Jackson Irvine, our boy, is set to line up against the likes of Nanya Matic and Paul Pogba. Bert and Albin have been handed a difficult League Cup draw against Manchester United at Old Trafford. United are currently the defending champs and give the Socceroos another taste of England's elite, Robert. That's if he's still there. You're saying that you know something that we don't? I know 
something. I've heard something on the grapevine, and our regular listeners will know that um, Jackson's a good friend of the program. But uh, we uh, we hear that there, there might be um, some potential. He's been linked to to other clubs for a long time in mm. the off-season. Yeah, so I don't yes. think you've given us a scoop there at all, Rob. Nah, well, I didn't well, say I was giving you a cheeky grin, though. I, I you just can't said see I it, did. listeners. There's a cheeky grin yeah, on his I face. I said I'd heard something. Anyway. anyway. Uh, listeners right around Australia, you should know that Rob Gilbert's looking very happy with himself at the moment. Anyway. Mm. anyway, He well, knows now, something we don't. He well, thinks... I, well, I hope it's right. Okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> the Brewers did face Liverpool at the uh, Pirelli Stadium in the Cup competition last year. Elsewhere, there could be an Aussie-littered battle on the south coast of England with Brad Smith and Adam Federici's AFC Bournemouth having been joining its Matt Ryan's Brighton to be played at Dean Court. More on Brad Smith shortly. Now, that's good news because you might scoff and go, well, Brad Smith barely plays, Adam Federici. But the reality is in a cup competition, maybe they're the kind of games where Brad Smith gets time. Although mm. clubs like Bournemouth probably take the FA Cup very, very seriously. Don't you think? Why am I looking at you? You can't talk. <laughs> yes, Michael. Sorry. I'm looking at Dino. He's coming to the studio early. Now, former England international Jamie Redknapp has heaped praise on Aaron Moy, as everyone else has so far, after the Australians' match-winning performance last weekend against Newcastle United. Moy scored the winner in Huddersfield Town's 1-0 victory, and the midfielder was man of the match in the Terriers' second straight Premier League win. Man and, of the match two weeks in a row. And first well, ever goal for Huddersfield at home. In the Premier League, no one can ever take that away from There we go. Now, let me read these quotes. One player stood head and shoulders above everyone on the pitch, and it was Aaron. He's a thinking man's footballer. Every time the ball came to him, he had a picture of what he wanted to do. Mm. You can look at poor defending all day long, but that goal shows how good a footballer he is, and he's going to be uh, so at home in the Premier League. Try as I might for about 40 minutes today. I was trying to find the audio of that. And then I realised that about 41 minutes, maybe you should just move on and read it out yourself, Mark. So, But I could not find that anywhere on Sky's website. But um, that is heavy praise or high praise from uh, a luminary of the game and yeah. a former Liverpool champ. Yeah, massive. And David Wagner was a, a huge rap uh, on him as well. Just, um, you know, it said he, something that we all know. He doesn't say much. I can tell you who David Wagner's not a rap of. Who? Jason Davidson. Mm. Didn't he give him a pasting? Ooh. He sure did, yeah. Training, I, I... Jason Davidson training with the under-23s. Mm. And when uh, David Wagner was asked in a press conference whether Jason would potentially be an option for him this year, the answer was no. Okay. It's one-word answers like Aaron Moy. Anyway, uh, Johan Absalonson believes that his teammates' faith in new coach Marco Kurz could lead Adelaide, lead Adelaide rather, to their 3-0 FFA Cup win over Melbourne Victory, which you touched on. The Reds moved into the competition's quarters at the expense of their fierce rivals with the Danish import opening the scoring with a rocketing strike in the 53rd. And I don't need to go through the rest because Michael's already gone through the results, so we know them. Yes. Well, and we will go through them in well, more so, depth. Save the rest, yeah. With for, Dean Hennessy later. Exactly, and save the rest of your extensive news report for your second edition report in the second hour because we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to talk to Scott McIntyre after the break because he's the guy we're all interested in chatting to to find out uh, are the Japanese nervous, are the samurai blue vulnerable. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the World Wide Web, and, of course, our podcast on box2boxntscomau And we're one week away from the biggest, one of the biggest, I should probably qualify by saying, World Cup qualifiers in the past 20 years for the Socceroos. But it's just as big for the Samurai Blue to tell us what's going on in Japan ahead of the game. Welcome back to the show, Fox Sports Asia. Scott McIntyre. Good afternoon, guys. How are you? 
Yeah, good uh, evening our time. Uh, good afternoon your time, mate. Uh, it's great to have you on the show, Scott, because, uh, you know, uh, as we parochial Australians do, or I guess most countries tend to do it, focus on, you know, our own team, our own squad, our own chances. But, uh, you know, obviously want to talk to you about, uh, you know, just what the feeling's like in uh, in Japan. Uh, is it... Uh, is it Front page news already? Is it is it dominating uh, uh, headlines, or is it just sort of still still sitting in the sort of the, the back pages of the sports section? Oh, it's certainly starting to ramp up now. Japan actually announced their uh, squad uh, today, so uh, you know with that comes all the analysis of you know who's in and and who's out and all that kind of stuff. And uh, like you said, it's a massive match for Australia, but it's just uh, as an important match, if not in some way even more important match for Japan. Although you know they are ahead of Australia. On the table, but if you look at the last matches to come, Australia, of course, has Thailand at home and Japan has to travel mm. away to Saudi Arabia, which at this time of uh, the year is not the nicest place on earth to be going and playing uh, a football match in. Um, so it, it's a game really that they would love to win. If they win, uh, you know, they're obviously uh, straight through. But if they lose, they, you'd have to think, you know, uh, from from the Japanese point of view, they could uh, almost certainly be headed towards the playoff. There's actually been a few stories coming out uh, in the last couple of days that if they were to lose. Uh, uh, to Australia this game, that that will uh, be the end of uh, the uh, rather uh, unusual appointment of uh, Vahid Halil Hozic, the, uh, the the grumpy uh, Franco-Bosnian <laughs> manager that uh, nobody's really taken to um, mm-hmm. here in the country, including, if you believe, reports and, uh, and whispers that I've been hearing the players themselves. So, uh, yeah, so it's a lot on the line for him and his coaching staff, certainly a lot on the, uh, the line for the team as well. Scott, uh, what can you tell us about uh, the, the squad that's been named? Is there any notable omissions from your perspective? Oh, no major ones. I mean, there's a few guys uh, here in the J-League that have been in excellent form, including uh, a guy from Urawa, Shinzo Karoki, who's actually leading the, uh, the scoring tally at the moment, I think, in the J-League. So he was probably one that had claimed uh, to be in. Uh, you know, there's always uh, the issue of the, the, the big couple of stars. You know, Keisuke Honda has just moved uh, in this off-season to uh, rather an unusual destination. He, he chose to go to Mexico. Uh, you know, he had yeah, a, a whole that. lot of suitors yeah. <laughs> all around the place. But he went and he, he's um, he's actually scored on his uh, debut earlier this week. So, yeah, good uh, good to see him in form from, uh, from a Japanese point of view. So he's in the squad. And then, you know, all the other names that you would expect. There's no major uh, omissions. But uh, uh, interestingly to know, you know, they break up the squad in certain ways. You know, you can classify some players as midfielders or forwards. I think in the official squad that's just, just come out, they've listed one, two, three, four, five. They've listed nine forwards. <laughs> on the on the things, obviously some of those guys are going to play, you know, as as, uh, as wingers or attacking midfielders or so on. But you know, at least they're putting it out there that they're going within a very attack-minded squad. And as you say, some of those other big names that we can expect to see: Shinji Okazaki uh, from Leicester, Shinji Kagawa, Borussia Dortmund, and Southampton's defender. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Okazaki is. I don't know if Okazaki is a starter anymore. I mean, mm. he's probably only started. I would think half of this campaign. I know, I know, he's got the big name and, and everything because mm. you know, he plays in the Premier League. But there's actually a couple of uh, younger. Uh, guys are playing the Bundesliga and and, and been doing really really well. Probably mm. a, a guy in Yuya Osaka who's the, I guess, the preferred choice if they go one up front as they tend to. So Okazaki, you know, made um, yeah, he may end up coming off the bench again, but that's a pretty handy weapon. He's obviously started well the, the Premier League season. This is a handy weapon to have coming off the bench. Scott Ange Postecoglou in his uh, press conference this week talked about being surprised by Japan's approach at Docklands in Melbourne. Uh, earlier in the year when he had, when when obviously we hosted Japan he said that uh, he was surprised that um, they uh, the Japanese allowed the Socceroos to have possession and then uh, sit back and obviously counter can you do you think we we can expect more of the same uh, from Japan in in this game or do you expect them to uh, be more attacking and try and uh, try and press the Australians 
yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. That was very much a, a horses for courses approach. You know, they they really didn't want to lose uh, that game. I think even it probably caught a few people, you know, up here a little bit off guard given the the attacking talents that they had. But uh, you know, that pragmatic uh, approach from Hello Hosic is one that we've seen uh, on the road, uh, you know, on a couple of occasions throughout this campaign. And certainly, if you look and say from their perspective, Australia was maybe the the most difficult away trip. You know, so if you went there and and, and got a point, which uh, of course they did, then that's probably you know a result that in the end may uh, you know may tip them over into qualification. So I think he was he was always going to go there and, and and set up to try and get that point rather than you know risk going for the three and ending up with nothing but uh, I think here in this case uh, like we said you know a win will put uh, Japan through to Russia 2018 so I think you can expect to yeah. see them yeah be far more far more aggressive uh, here you know probably expect them to control possession and uh, and you know quite likely have the better of the chances as well so it's just a question then of you know if they can if they can bury them or if Australia can bury them this is Box the Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Scott McIntyre, Fox Sports Asia. Scott McIntyre. Now, Scott, um, we were underwhelming in that game uh, on in every sense of the word, both on and off the park. You know, the uh, the, the Samurai Blue, as we've already talked about at the opening of this show, uh, fans made a lot more noise than our fans at Eddie Had Stadium, and they'll certainly be doing that at Saitama next week. But uh, what are you um, what are you reading locally about? the Japanese expectations of the Australian team. Uh, we seem to be in pretty good form. We, uh, uh, we've come off a, you know, a, a, a good result at the Confederations Cup. Uh, mm. uh, players like Aaron Moy in particular um, in, um, in brilliant form to start the, the Premier League. Um, are, you, are you sensing they're genuinely worried about um, what they face next week? Yeah, it's a strange one because, I mean, you know, I mean, you can look at it the way that I, I wonder how many you know, fans or, or indeed even, uh, you know, journos down in Australia really know the ins and outs of, uh, of Japan and the Japanese players and can equally, of course, play that uh, in reverse here. So you, mm. you you often hear the stereotypes still now. I mean, it's it's like <laughs> nobody's watched the, you know, the team under Ange or something. Or mm. still, you know, thinking what they were 15 years ago or something. So, I mean, every time Australia comes here, you hear the same thing and, and you read the same thing in the media that it's the... It's the, the you know the, the tall uh, physical bruising uh, traits of Australia. You know the mm. long ball approach still mm. is uh, mm. astonishing mm. that people still think that this is going on. Obviously, Ange has made that um, the, the very opposite of what he's been trying to adopt and employ. So the, the people that know what they're talking about, the supporters that you know would have seen those got, those games at the Confederations Cup where Australia was very impressive, uh, you know, would have a vastly different uh, opinion, and they know the threat. Uh, that Australia can pose, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I even wonder because I've heard Halil Hosic and some of his staff even say it as well. You know, that this this physical nature of Australia is something that, that concerns. But I don't know if that's necessarily the way it is. You know, I mean, if, mm. if you look at, I mean, even just you know, the, the physique of some of the Japanese players are a lot bigger and and probably you know, you know capable of being more physical. I mean, a guy like Mai Ishida, of course, is playing Southampton in the Premier League than than many of the Australians are. So from that point of view, they're, they're kind of evenly. A balance, but there's you know there's a respect I think uh, certainly on the football pitch between the two countries. Uh, you know, for, for some reason we always seem to get drawn together, whether it's Asian Cup qualifiers, whether it's World Cup qualifiers, whether it's you know the uh, finals, a uh, series of tournaments and stuff. So you know, two uh, two nations that know each other very well, and yeah, I, I really sense that there's you know uh, a respect there between the teams. You know, if we look at some of the other nations in Asia, that that's you know not the case certainly in Japan when they play a few of their neighbours up here and. You know, Korea and Iran, for example, have a real heated rivalry now, stretching back quite a while. So, you know, it's it's a rivalry, but it's almost a friendly rivalry in mm. that sense, of course. It won't be next week in Saitama. Scott, last time you spoke to us on Box to Box, you were 
describing the uh, exploits of a young goalkeeper that uh, may yeah. may get a start. Is is can you give us an update on how he's travelling and can we expect him yeah, to be is. between the goals? Yeah. Well, if I if I was choosing, I would. He's in the squad. He's one of the three keepers in the squad. Young Kosuke Nakamura from from Kashima Race. I think they're sitting uh, third or fourth in the J League, and he's been an ever present throughout the campaign, playing really really well. And if you look at the goal that conced- Japan conceded in their last. Uh, a qualifier away uh, in a neutral match in Iraq, you know, it was basically a goalkeeping mistake. So if you had it had, it might, yeah, if I was picking the side, I'd have him in there, you know, every <laughs> every single match. But uh, I doubt it's easy. Picked uh, Eiji Kawashima, who's playing uh, over in France, uh, and a guy called Higashiguchi, uh, playing locally for Gamba as well as Nakamura. So in my opinion, he's definitely the best keeper, easily, uh, you know, the kind of keeper you would want. But he hasn't made his debut. Is he, you know, going to risk him in this kind of a match? You, you can't imagine that that would be the case because you're picking on form. Yeah, he probably probably should be one of the first guys I've picked. He's actually picked a couple of J-League guys who are in form. One of the strikers from Cerezo, uh, Osaka, a guy called Sugimoto, who was a star for the Olympic uh, team a couple of years ago. He's uh, got his first call-up in, in quite a while, actually, and that's based on form, so it's good to see. But, uh, yeah, outside of that, I don't think there's actually many. Just having a quick uh, look through the squad now, there's not really many J-League players in it, actually. Yeah, there's a few. <coughs> but, you know, of, of the 11, probably most of them will be the European-based players. Okay, and Scott, what about the Australians that apply in the uh, trade in the in the J League? Uh, what can you tell us about Milos Diganek uh, and others? Yeah, Milos has been really impressive, actually. Yokohama, uh, the team that he plays for, uh, are sitting uh, in the top uh, couple of spots in the J League, and he's been an ever-present. He's playing every uh, single match they play back four. He's uh, one of the two central defenders, along with uh, Yuji Nakazawa, who uh, some people in Australia may remember is a long... Uh, long-serving uh, former national team star. I think he's actually the guy that scored the penalty that uh, knocked us straight out of the Asian Cup in 2007 that. Yeah. In, the, in that shootout as well. So, um, yeah, so the two, yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. So the two of those uh, are the central defensive partnership that uh, Yokohama really uh, conceded very few goals and, and and he's been playing very well. Very uh, very steady, very composed. You think, you know, often it takes uh, players, especially defenders, you know, where... You know, communicating a language and all that kind of stuff is is quite important as well. A bit longer to settle, but he's uh, coming and done really well. He's the only one, really. Uh, you know, of, of the names that's doing well. I mean, Nathan Burns uh, was at FC Tokyo. He left to go to Hiroshima. He wasn't playing before. <laughs> he's not playing now. But yeah, the one that's uh, probably a surprise uh, uh, to me that you know could have been considered for a call up is Mitch Duke. Yeah, I was going to say he's on. He's playing uh, really well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's playing really well. He's playing basically. Uh, as a left winger, which probably Australian uh, fans wouldn't remember him, he was more of a, an out-and-out striker at uh, the Mariners. He actually spent a bit of time playing almost uh, as a left fullback, uh, you know, as a left uh, wingback on occasion as well. So he's, he's been in really good form for the club. You know, he's not he's not scoring a bundle of goals, but he's setting a, a few up and, and he's contributing. He's playing 90 minutes pretty much uh, every match and, he, and he's shown that he's versatile, you know, and, and able and capable to play pretty much anywhere up and down that that left-hand side, which has, of course, has been a, a trouble area for Australia under Andrew's uh, system he's playing now with wing-backs. You know, he, I think, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen, you know, the club form of, of you know, Beige and a couple of the other guys that uh, uh, in, in and around the squad, but certainly on form, you know, he, he would be a player that I would be having a look at for sure. Yeah, well, Bates not in the final 23, interestingly enough. Oh, he didn't make it, right. Yeah, right. No, so... Uh, but so, mate... so who's, who's the left-sided option, then, in, in the squad now? It's obviously Smith. Yeah, right. Who also hasn't really been playing, right? That's right. Yeah, he played his first game uh, during the week uh, for a long time. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll be watching mm. that space uh, very closely, especially across both the games, yeah. 
Well, Michael will be doing it very closely with you, mate, because he's heading over there with uh, yeah. his uh, green and gold army scarf to wrap around your neck when he arrives in Saitama next week, mate. So, uh, yeah, that's all I hear. Yeah, so, uh, hey, mate, look, thanks, Scott, again for coming on the show. It's always great, mate, uh, to, to get a, an insight from what's going on in, in Japan when we're, uh, you know, obviously so parochial about our own interests and desperate to get to uh, Russia next year, uh, the Japanese... Uh, have uh, got a, an equally, if not better, football pedigree and uh, maybe not hope, but rather expect that they'll be um, playing in the World Cups uh, as opposed to uh, you know, our sort of gradually uh, increasing expectations over the years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's really on a knife's edge. You know? I mean, it's, it's one of the great uh, spectacles that, you know, that, that, that you know, like I said, Michael and the other guys that are coming up here will get to see, you know, a full... I mean, the national team sells out every single match, you know, mm. they can play you know, Bhutan or whatever, and, the, and they'd sell out the, the national stadium. It's full of colour and life uh, on match day. So it's a, you know, mm. a fantastic spectacle in, in world football to see. And, and, and it's a really a tense occasion. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, who knows what happens with Ange, for example, if Australia lose. And, and mm. as I keep saying, Thailand are, are nobody's uh, mugs no. either. You know, they're especially... And I keep saying that now, too, mate. <laughs> nothing to play there. They're involved in the sea games. You know, today they've just got through to the semifinals there. A few yeah. guys will come through from that spot to... Yeah, it's, it's all on the line, you know, for Ange, for, for Halil Ozic, for the, for the players and the supporters. That's exactly what we wanted when we moved into Asia, you know. So we should uh, celebrate that we're not, you know, going and scoring 30 against obscure Pacific <laughs> Islands, that this is where we want to be and, and that's where we are. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Scott. Enjoy the game, mate. No worries, guys. After the break, the Professional Footballers Association, John Didelitzer. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk, Sport on Digital Radio, streaming on the World Wide Web, and of course the podcast on box to box ntscomau which you can listen to anytime. Now, when the FFA. Uh, shut down the Centre of Excellence. Many people said there were a lot of players hung out to dry. One of the people who will help those players is John Didelitzer, the head of the PFA. Welcome back to the show, John. Uh, g'day, guys. How are you? Good, mate. Matt, is that being too harsh to suggest that, uh, that that some of these players and their families were, were hung out to dry uh, from uh, you know what had been the breeding ground for some of our best players over the last uh, few decades? Yeah, look, it's certainly it's not my choice of phrase. I mean, in in any business, sometimes you have to make difficult decisions, and um, and you know, with those decisions come consequences. And you know, sadly, the people who face the consequences of this decision, for whether whether it's right or wrong in terms of the allocation of resources within the game, a decision has been made, and you know, broadly, the collateral damage are these 18 players and and their families who you know, you guys have grown up with the, the AIS and now the Centre of Excellence program really being the you know, the nursery in chief of Australian football. So to be tapped on the shoulder and invited into that program was you know, I wasn't saying it was a licence to become a professional footballer, but it was certainly such an honour to be invited in. So for that honour to be tugged away or stripped away from plays in and of itself is you know, difficult for some for kids and their families and but also there's this compounding effect of, you know, maybe you're out of pocket, you've now got to switch clubs, you're going to switch schools, you're going to switch your friend network. So, yeah, it's certainly a, a big price to pay for these kids. John, um, in recent times, though, the, the, the program didn't uh, really represent what it was uh, in the halcyon days. I mean, uh, subsequent administrations, the FFA had cut funding back. Um, it was a 
dormitory style program in the early days and now the kids were billeted out it was it, it ended up being a little different to what it was in the uh what we would say when the vadukas and those sort of players came out of it is, is it am i correct in that assertion yeah i think that's true i, I think the, the biggest driver in that there's probably two key aspects is firstly they reduce the ages in, in yeah, the part in, yeah. historically the, the ages they captured with those guys on the cusp of really breaking the senior football so i used to say you know, year 11, year 12, or year 12, first year uni. That was the cohort they captured. The guys who had really done their junior stint and were in that really important phase to bridge their way into first-team football. Um, and secondly, the A-League teams have got really professional... Or I'll rephrase that. Many of the A-League teams are building really elite, yeah. high-quality programs yeah. that sit just beneath the A-League. So some of the most... Some of the elite players don't necessarily go to the to the centre of excellence, even if they're offered the contract, yeah. um, because they can stay at home, stay with family networks, stay at the same school, and you know have the benefit of elite training. So, in some ways, it's good. You know, we needed to decentralise the talent um, structure so more kids could get access to high quality talent. But it doesn't. I suppose it doesn't make the decision any easier. It's a bit like your favourite TV show. Yeah, season season three and four were unbelievably good, and sort of hangs around till season eight and nine, and it ends. Um, but it doesn't mean it's you know you didn't enjoy it while it was great. Absolutely. Um, one of the uh, one of the awards in football that I uh, always take great interest in is uh, your Alex Tobin Medal, and um, on the seventeenth of September you will bestow uh, the highest honour in the PFA to Cheryl Salisbury. Um, I think it's a wonderful choice. What can you tell us, um, for all of the listeners around Australia who may not know how important Cheryl Salisbury's been, but why don't you uh, let us in uh, a little bit about that, uh, John? Yeah, no, glad to. Um, but just firstly, the, the Alex Tobin Medal is awarded by the PFA executive at, at any given time, and it looks beyond purely somebody's qualities as a footballer but more broadly, what sort of an inspiring role they may have played across their generation or, or the generations to come. So the people who have received it are guys like Craig Johnson, you know, although not a Socceroo, he just did so much to ignite that fire and that passion for young footballers around the country. You know, Johnny Warren, Mark Aduccio, Mark Schwarzer, um, and most Frank Farina, and most recently it was Harry Kuehl. So um, Cheryl Salisbury, who got the honour this year, uh, certainly um, enjoys pretty esteemed company. And it was a really interesting discussion with the executive. And we thought about different options and we threw up different names. And as I was talking, I think our president, Alex Wilkins, said something along the lines of, JD, it's very simple, it's Cheryl Salisbury. Um, <laughs> and, and when you when you think about it, you think, you know, it's probably a few years too late. She yeah. uh, really is a pioneer within Australian women's football. She, you know, 150 caps across 15 years, um, made her debut in the early 90s and then finished up around the 2010 type of era. Um, so she really saw and carried the national team from this, this era of uber amateurism where you had to pay in her own pocket yeah. to really yeah. fighting the fight to get Matildas recognised as elite professional athletes. And that's, what we often miss when we assess women's sport is this isn't a, a game development or a social inclusion piece. 
these these are elite athletes who want to be treated mm. like elite athletes, and that was a battle that Cheryl fought for 15 or 20 years was, you know, to want to be treated as a high-performing athlete. And, you know, she was instrumental in terms of getting um, sort of framework for a collective agreement for the, the Matildas players and making sure that, you know, now the Matildas players can make a living out of the sport. Not, not as great a living as we'd like at this stage, but mm. certainly they, the girls can focus entirely on their football. And, you know, Cheryl, in large part contributed to that both on and off the field. You know, sure she, I think she scored in a World Cup, um, you know, and was captain for, I'm not sure exactly how many games, but certainly for the lion's share of her cap, she, she wore the armband. So, you know, she, she's right up there with the very best, you know, yeah. whether it's a Joe Marsden or a, a Johnny Warren um, or a Mark Paducah, she's certainly made, yeah. you know, not, she, her deeds on the pitch are only part of the, the contribution she's made to Australian football. So we'll honour her with the award in Newcastle on the 17th of September. Um, Why Newcastle, I think she's from Newcastle. Mm. Uh, Novocastrian, the Matildas are playing there two days after. So we think it's a great opportunity to celebrate women's football. Yeah, and Newcastle's a, you know, it's it's a heartland of Australian sport. Oh, absolutely. That's that's the second part. from, From our perspective, it's almost like handing the baton Mm. Is that you know, Newcastle's is the cradle almost of Australian football with guys like Ray Bartz and Craig Johnson. And you go back to the turn of the century, you know, the 1800s, the football being played in Newcastle, and it's this old world now potentially being handed mm-hmm. over to. Do you remember that time, Tom? <laughs> 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 and this is, um, this is uh... the game over to the, the new vanguard, which is exactly. you know, the Sam Kerrs and yeah. Steph Catleys, and you know, it's a really nice synergy to that. So they it'll be are. a great night. Yeah. Um, we'll also have the, the Player of the Year awards for the male and female. Yeah, be great. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to PFA Chief Executive John Didelitzer. Uh John, there's Dean here. How are you? Good, Dean. Yeah, good, good. Uh, I liked your analogy about that year 11, year 12 you know, process where the you know the Vadukas of the world were going in the AIS when maybe like the Ronnie Smiths and the, um, the Gary Coles were involved and that type of era of that great generation that we created. How do you view your year 11 and 12s today in our system, whether it's within the either the MPL structure that I've been involved in or in the A-League structure? Where do you see these competitive games to get these players up to that speed? What's your view? Yeah, big challenge, Dean. I think, you know, it's a really good question. Um, I've, you know, through my experiences at Clubland, I've, you know, studied it pretty closely. And when we first started at Hart, for example, was around 2010, it was still the old system in terms of the ages. Yeah. The guys who were 17 and 18. And those guys were just a smidge off playing A-League. So it was guys like Brendan Hamill, Ali Babal, um, Trent Sainsbury, yep. Terry Antonis. They really just needed one season in the system and they were ready to be first-team footballers. Um, and then they changed the ages and we brought in someone like a Stephen Mork. And it took him probably three years of being in an A-League system to really be in a position where you could rely on him to play week in, week, in, week out, out yeah. in the squad. So they changed that. And I reckon as a consequence of that, um, players dropped off. You know, we've done a really big study on this that we'll release over the weekend. Yep. It's about the number of senior games that guys are playing and the match minutes are dropping. And I think even at that elite end, not just having too big a gap between coming out of the Centre of Excellence program 
and being able to ready to play senior football, whether it's an NPL or A-League level, I think there was just a bit too much of a gap. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I think that sort of prop, I think it probably hurts some players because they get lost and they get impatient and, um, you know, so, yeah, look, it's it's terrible to see it go. Um, but I think it's it's not, it's certainly not going to solve our problems in youth development getting rid of it. The just shifts the now. I think if we if we can get together as a group of you know like-minded people from different walks of life in Australian football, and, and you know I listen to and hearing your voice, I think you know that there's most probably a lot of more answers that we could have than questions. But if we don't get together and work really clearly about a vision to get this back to where we were creating the golden generation, because these boys were yeah. playing regular football at a good standard. Yeah. Was it the greatest standard? No, it wasn't Europe. I get that, but it was a down good standard and we produce some unbelievably good footballers over the journey yeah the, I mean, the study will release on the weekend like one of the stats is um even from say 2010 or 2011 yeah players under the age of 20 are playing a, a third as many minutes so about two-thirds less minutes yeah um seven years on so that's that's a challenge we've got to address that's what we've got to fix Structural haven't we? Deficiency, yeah. yeah and one of the things is that this isn't this goes beyond a methodology and a coach education discussion. Yeah. Why why aren't we producing players at the same level? Is it social? Is it cultural? Is it regulatory? You know, we've you know we used to be able to transfer overseas at 15, 16, 17. We can't do that anymore because of FIFA regulations. So we've really got to get to the bottom of this. Um, because we're falling behind the rest of the world. Yeah. Hey, John, we'll, look, we'll get you back on the program because we, we do want to flush this out in a little bit more detail, and sadly we're running out of time now, and we uh, we also uh, want to get your views on uh, on the <laughs> uh, the uh, FFA uh, uh, as it, the uh, the story evolves there too, mate. So uh, so thank you so much for joining us uh, on no, any, Box Talks. Any time, guys. Any time, and then you hit me yell, mate. I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not forward to it. No, that's why we got you on the show, John, because uh, uh, the football people who listen to this program want that kind of detail, mate, and uh, and you give it to them. So, so thank you very much, mate. Thanks, gents. Cheers, John. Have a good one. All right, Dana, you're going to stick bye. around because we are going to talk about some domestic football, some FFA Cup, and we also want to have a bit of a chat about a certain big game we've already referred to in the show so far that's on next Thursday night. That is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Dino is still in the studio. Had a good chat with John Didlitzer there. Now, just tick us through the FFA Cup scores in case we've missed any. And uh, we're going to get into the... Yeah, uh, uh, earlier in the week uh, on Wednesday... um, the all A League clash between Adelaide and uh, Adelaide United and Melbourne Victory, uh, dominated by Victory in the first half, but uh, a real surprising result, three uh, nil. Um, just over nearly three and a half thousand at the ground at, at Marden Sports Complex, which I quite enjoyed. That it was a lot, a lot tighter and looked a, yeah, like a really good, good atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, but a three nil win. A couple of the new boys, uh, also. Ab- Absalonson, Ab- that's a name. at 53 minutes. I think that's minutes. a name we're going to get to know. We, uh, we like him. And the young boy, Blackwood, took his penalty really well. Ex-Sydney FC. <coughs> and then uh, the boy, Constantinopolis, uh, in the 89th minute. Ex-War player. That was a bomb, wasn't and it? And it was an absolute crack. 
cracker of a goal. Well, so what about the um, the synthetic pitch um, at uh, at the the burgers? Uh, the uh, well, Dino yeah, and I did yeah, have a conversation yeah, on the well, telephone. We were discussing that. Yeah, Don't it, it like it. It looked like an indoor match, didn't yeah. it? The ball just, just bouncing and up in the air. Bounces like a tennis ball. But look again, I thought. If you put that into that particular stadium and then put a nice grass pitch on it, yeah, I think you've got stadium. a really yeah. good nice pitch, it's possibly a potential B League venue historic, as an example. Historic stadium. That anyway, uh, Sydney United, uh, Jason Cleaner's new club, but he was in the corporate box and uh, not on the bench. We, we we saw certainly their their assistant coach all night on the bench, kept panning to him. Anyway, that's another story. But Sydney United. Uh, it was an interesting game. There was a little bit of spite in there. Heidelberg, for me, just didn't take the chances because they could no, have put this thing to bed. Yeah. Uh, King Kenny was a handful as per usual. Mm-hmm. Sean Ellis performed really, really well. And I thought overall, even though Sean Ellis scores uh, in the 111th minute in extra time, and then they, they I saw Katz's I saw face when the equaliser went in. Anyway, 1-1, and then it went to penalties and Burgers uh, came off uh, best with four goals in a in row. A very Quick uh, comment from me on the burgers. Well done to all those fans who got in the buses and went up there. It was brilliant. Yeah, the club had heaps of support up there. Lots of black and gold. This is a national program, Michael. Go all, the burgers. All of the teams in the <laughs> FFA Cup had a lot of support. Well, talk, talking toast. about national, it was an all-Queensland affair and an all-brother affair with was, uh, with the Piddick brothers. And, the best uh, part of that game was the lights went out. It did go out for a little bit, and when they panned to it, it was really dark there. But anyway, um, what we may not know, it's obviously Gold, uh, gold Coast actually reversed the result from the game in the weekend, which stopped Gold Coast winning the league. And uh, the boy Smith in the 108th minute scored the winner and uh, laughing, uh, you know, obviously 1-1 with the two brothers. And then really we got South Melbourne. and then Who were very impressive, South they were, Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, very yeah Monopolist, Epifano, Lewich and Epifano again. Too good for with, Sorrento. And, which uh, shed on the 91st consolation. Well done to Chris Taylor. And, um, and the into the, that one, Dana. Into the hat. Four one, yeah. Okay, so uh, you were listening into our chat with Scott McIntyre, um, Dean. What's your prediction for next Thursday night? I think we go there and win. I think there's a lot of pressure on the Japanese, um, and obviously from their point of view, they're at home. They're, it depends on how they tactically go, and it was interesting to talk about where Andrew was from the last game where they sat back. It'd be interesting if they sit back at home. Uh, but I think if they go on the front foot and what they say, pin the ears back, that's been mm-hmm. uh, on this show last week. And I think yeah, if they go yeah. there on the front foot, best form of defence is attack, and that's the way Angela likes to play. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it because I'll be in the stadium. Really looking forward to the experience inside Tama, as Scott McIntyre said. It is one of those uh, fabulous uh, experiences in, in, in international football. Uh, I think uh, I think it's, it's going to be a draw. I think it's going to be a very good game. And I think there'll be goals. I think Australia win 2-1 with Timmy Cale coming off the bench with 10 minutes to go and and heading the winner uh, over the Japanese. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? It would be fantastic. I look forward to talking to you from Tokyo next week. It's going to be exciting. What about the FFA Cup games next week? Just run through them, Dino. Oh, just really, really quickly. Yeah, we've got uh, Bankstown against Sydney FC uh, at uh, uh, the the Bankstown Berries. We've got uh, Bentley Greens, who beat Hume City uh, in the last round with the Western Sydney Wonders. That's a big game. Fabulous draw for them. Uh, Then we've got Blacktown against Appia Leichhardt. So it's an all MPL uh, New South Wales event. And then we've got Okoa, uh, Maccabi Okoa against Melbourne City, which again, which hopefully at Leichhardt Oval will be a good gate for them. And uh, Do you give any of the underdogs a chance? Do you give mm, Bentley Greens a chance against Western Sydney? I 
I don't, but again, I just think they've had a lot of work in the last, you know, in the Hakoa competitions. In Melbourne City, yes or no? Um, Do you give them a chance? Huh? No, I don't. And what about uh, the Berries against Sydney FC? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so that's the. And I've got a funny feeling that Appia might cause an upset. Mm, yeah, well, that, uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, set of matches because the, you know the uh, the Appia v Blacktown City. That's sort of almost like the new Fibros v Silvertails. So. Uh, that one because uh, you know that Leichhardt Balmain part of town is uh, a fairly swanky. Well, that Blacktown are a good side. Mm. They are a good side, but I've just got Surely a funny feeling. Bankstown, Berries, and Sydney FC is the Fibros against uh, <laughs> against yeah. the yeah. Uh, no, the that's, just, uh, that's another one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Dino, well done. Stick around after the break. Melbourne victories. James Donnicky is going to talk to us about uh, their uh, FA uh, Cup uh, loss Andros. to Adelaide. Uh, Dino, you're going to stick around because we're going to talk more about the international scene, Wayne Rooney style, and we're going to wrap it up with stoppage time. That's all coming up next on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box, second edition news shortly. Then we'll chat to Melbourne Victory's James Donaghy. After their disappointing loss, 3-0, loss to Adelaide United in the FFA Cup earlier in the week, Dino returns... After their belting, Rob. Exactly. Dino returns with his preview of the International Week in football. We're going to chat about Wayne Rooney's retirement and uh, we'll, of course, wrap it up with stoppage time. Marco, you've got a big list of Hang news Hang on, stories, I was very right? restrained in news part one. I'm, I'm just letting the shackles off in news part No, we can <laughs> tell that. You're just sort of leaping in from left field there. We're gonna, this is all about the Burgess, this edition, isn't it? This uh, news edition. No. No, not at all. FIFA has written to FFA for the first time since its delegation left Sydney earlier this month. AAP reports FIFA Secretary-General Fatma Samara issued a reminder to FFA that the onus was on them as a facilitator rather than a stakeholder to reach an agreement over a new Congress model. While FIFA and the AFC remain committed to providing you with our continued blah, blah, blah. The reality is they've put them on notice. AAP's basically got their hands on this letter. Now, the frustrating part here, boys, mm. the report suggests PFA and some state federations support a 9511 model. I'll explain what all this means in a second. While other federations, as well as FFA, support a 9411 model. Now, this means that the states get nine votes. Um, five or four, depending on which one you go for, goes to the clubs. And then one goes to the male players and one to the female players. So, mm. essentially, to the PFA. So, two essentially go to the PFA. Now, if that's what's holding us back, whether the clubs get five votes... Or four votes? No, it's not. There is a there is a, quite a view uh, amongst the federations as well that the PFA doesn't uh, deserve two seats. So Capital Football thinks that, do they? There's Northern Territory Football think that, do they? Well, These unrepresentative swill, to use the words of Paul Keating, should pull their heads in. Well, they're the ones who suggest that the, the well, players... I suggest that they shouldn't have a vote at all. That there is a broader stakeholder... nothing in the game. Yeah, but the broader stakeholder group... Uh, well, they, they would disagree with that analysis, Mark, and I'm not defending Obviously. them. I'm just saying they would I don't disagree. care what the Northern Territory Football Federation thinks with their think, 18 members. But I think the PFA has agreed that they will only have one, provided that the okay. other one goes to represent a, a women's stakeholder representative. Well, that's pretty obvious that the women have to have a, a vote at the table. Absolutely well, I mean, agree with that. But whether, but whether the, right the PFA is entitled to two, that might be a bit of an over-representation. Well, hang on. Explain that to me. If the players get one, players in inverted commas, so we're obviously saying male players. Male, no, no. Players, and then the female. Male and female players get one. Get but one. the women's 
women's game gets one that's not representative of just the women's players. That was the that was the uh, the view that's been pretty much agreed by most of the stakeholders that the women's game this needs a rep, needs a stakeholder representative, not just women's players. That's not nonsense. I think that's fair and reasonable. The women's game, but not just women's players. So who else is in the women's game? What well, coaches and referees and absolutely and a whole bunch of stakeholders. So women's referees need a vote. Out of the 15 votes we're going to have... But the women's game women's is more referee. than just women's players. It's it's clubs, it's a, it's a whole range of different uh, stakeholders. I think we're getting into the nitty-gritty where we really want to talk about so the I bigger can see why things go well last week in Sydney. Yeah, well, I don't think that um, that one individual vote was the deal-breaker, but... Uh, it was. Uh, the no, question, well, that's... The word coming that, out no, is they had a deal, vote. whether it was that one in particular, yeah, that's the but point. there was one yeah. in particular. The deal was done, who, and then Lowy comes in and smashes it all apart again. Who, who leaked the letter? Where'd that come from? I mean, oh, uh, well, clearly someone at, at uh, Whitland Square. Oh, you reckon FIFA? Actually, it wouldn't have come out of Whitland Square. It would have come out of FIFA. There's no it was at WAC to the FFA. So, so I wonder who the AAP journal was. It was mm. Emma. It was? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, enough of that to, uh, for a moment. Someone is keeping mum on... Oh, you, sorry, you got something else about the burgers? Or? Mm. No, 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 go on. Go on. Someone who's keeping mum about the situation is Socceroos coach Ange Postacoglu. Postacoglu said he didn't see a role for himself as peacemaker, a provocateur or otherwise. I've stayed out, but I think my role is to make sure we do well over the next couple of games. Yeah, that's what he says publicly. I reckon Ange might have an opinion on this whole situation, boys. Just well, remember what happened last time he had an yeah, opinion. He got, he got put trouble. back in his box, didn't he? So, yeah, uh, he did. I think everyone's got an opinion. That's one of the issues. Anyway, some more good news. Not more good news, but some good news. A bit of midweek Aussies in action. Tommy Orr's Apple have completed their their quest for Champions League qualification, holding Slavia Prague to a nil-all draw away. The Cypriots, of course, won their first league 2-0 in the home league. Home league at home, funnily enough. On the night, however, Orr was not selected in the matchday squad. But nevertheless, their progression means there will be three Australians in the group stage. Tommy Orr, Tommy Rogic and Brad Jones. In League Cup action, Huddersfield Town continued their unbeaten start to the season, but Aaron Moy didn't play, and of course we know Jason Davidson certainly wouldn't have played. Ryan Williams was an unused sub for the Millers. Great stuff. Elsewhere, Braden Iman. Now, you all know Braden. Um, started for Rochdale in their 4-0 thumping at the hands of Stoke City. The 25-year-old was withdrawn within 53 minutes. But this is the good news, and I said I'd get to this off the top of the, the first hour. Ange Postacoglu will be happy that Brad Smith got his first minutes at club level since February as Bournemouth defeated Birmingham City 2-1 in the English League Cup. Smith put in the full 90-minute shift in defence as the Cherries progressed to the third round. The 23-year-old hadn't played since being a half-time sub in a 6-3 loss to Everton back in the Premier League on Feb 4. So there we go. He spoke to Scotty Mack and he has got some, he's got at least got 90 minutes in his legs heading in. I think and Mark's that, been a little bit facetious about that. I'm not that. being facetious because... The reality is, at least he's got a full 90 in him. Who knows what's going to happen this week? But the reality is then he can go in at least next week into Japan with at least some game exposure under his legs for the first time in six months. Well, well, it's, not a great, it's not a never great let, prep, I know he's, that. He's but. never let Australia down when he's played. So, you know, no, he's, he's committed had, his all. There's no question about that. But there is the great thing about our, our game and the great thing about watching the Socceroos is you, you can have an opinion. And mm. uh, some people think Aziz Beach yeah, might I'm not, be I'm not, ahead I'm not of disagreeing Brad Smith with you. I'm, what I'm saying is that it's good that Brad finally at least played. If Brad didn't play in this game, mm. then you'd be double well, scratching your head over Ange. One of the people who was Ange. That's the only opinion that matters right now. And the problem is Ange does build a rod for his own back. Because, again, just like every other soccer who's coach before him, he says, I'm going to pick players that are playing. Well, this guy hasn't played since February. But anyway, moving on. Liverpool are officially back in the Champions League after defeating Hoffenheim 4-2 on Wednesday at Anfield, progressing 6-3 on aggregate. It was an effervescent Liverpool beginning, which started when Emre Chan gave the Reds an early lead, and they were basically up 3-0 within 21 minutes. They're back where they belong, Rob. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, it's good to see uh, Liverpool, uh, the uh, the side you either love or you love to hate. And um, look, hopefully uh, Jurgen Klopp will get them, uh, you know, in that top four in the, uh, no, in the top Manchester flight. Manchester United, and... the side you either love or love to hate. No, no, they're also the ones, yeah. There's plenty of teams everyone loves Manchester to hate in every City. sport, aren't they? But uh, I... Yeah, I just hope Arsenal. Klopp can can pull it together Chelsea, because Tottenham. he won't hate Arsenal. I he will be under pressure year. if uh, if he doesn't get a result this year. Oh, absolutely, and there's certainly there, there are no certainties to finish the top six. They haven't recruited well, and of course, mm. leading into our next item, mm. there appears to be no end in sight to the transfer drama surrounding Philippe Coutinho with Barcelona now readying a fourth offer for the midfield, according to Sky Sports. Mm. Liverpool but that, but that, that deal, I mean, I know I'm jumping in because you're going to talk about the upfront money, but it all seems to be about the the nature of the the deal, and it was a bit of a dud that uh, you know there were certain layers of the deal that kicked in, and uh, it just wasn't a good deal for Liverpool to agree yeah, to. Yeah, the, the problem. Liverpool's got, which is a pretty big problem. Coutinho says they don't want to play for you ever again. Mm. And he didn't play in the Champions League, so they obviously didn't want him cup-tied. But mm. the reality is, when they can't just wheel him out and push him out in the ground and go play. So, mm. you know, but what's he going to do? Retire from football? It's by the same token. Because mm. Liverpool need to dig in here, because without him, you lose a lot of lot of cred this year, and you obviously lose a lot of... Um, but can they convince him to come back to the fold? Well, I don't know if you can do a deal and say, listen, stay this season, and we promise we'll sell you next year. If you can do some sort of deal where... Next year we'll let you go, but I always thought he was going to stay for this season. Just give us well, one they did season it with Luis back in the Suarez. Champions League. I mean, in the, you know, Correct. Suarez wanted Suarez. to leave, yeah, and they, they, you know, if um, a certain player hadn't uh, fallen over in the middle of the park, they would have um, won the title that year. Now we're about to talk to James Donaghy, but uh, I don't know if you're going to bring this up. But that's a tackle from Taylor Regan on Mitch Austin. If you want to call it a tackle, it was basically a, a shoulder charge in NRL parlance or a hip and shoulder. And you can't even do a shoulder charge in rugby league, so I'm not sure how we got away with it in the A-League. So we'll question him about that. Did, but... did, did, did Mitch Austin just sort of run into him, though? He had his head down, bolting along. Well, you can't just do that. You can't do it. You can't. Well, hang on. The, the Fox, Fox Sports put a, yes. put a clip up of the challenge with the caption, you won't see a, bet, a better hit all season with Austin replying after the game. It's a great hit until someone breaks their something neck. Something starting with F. Mm. So he wasn't particularly happy about it, although he has taken that tweet down. Subsequently, but I reckon you're the only bloke in Australia that's on Regan's side, Michael. Well, I just anyway, thought Mitch Austin put his it. head down and just ran, ran in. He doesn't give you carte blanche to just go and clean him up like well, a bloody, a, a bloody VFL bloke. player Man, in the 70s. Uh, Mark, this is the bloke that's happy when 40,000 flares get set off at a, a you know a suburban football ground. So you know some of his opinions oh, don't need to be taken. Bring out the violin, go on. Bring out the violin. You, you take all the fun out of life, Rob. Uh, no, I don't. Yes. Um, imagine, imagine if I'll he tell was you who's not dad. having he's a lot of fun. He's a former copper. What do you expect? He's a former copper. Imagine if you were his dad. I want to get Tom on the show. I want to know all the secrets from home. I mean, Look, it's 8 o'clock, get to bed. I'll take the phone off you if you don't go no, to bed. No, I'll let him stay up till 8.30. <laughs> uh, now, I'll tell you who's not having a lot of fun in life right now is a certain H. HQ. Well, we're not getting to that just yet, mate. Yeah, we? well, I think we need to because well, uh, it's um, it's. We a, might leave that story. for the last second and get Dino on because I want to pick his brain on that All if right. we can. But Sydney FC uh, have appointed a new CEO this week. It's Danny Townsend. He said it's only the beginning for the powerhouse, of course, that massive season last year. And he played in the NSL with the Parramatta Power. That's probably why we've never heard of him. Uh, but no, to be fair, he did <laughs> and do Sydney his United. Yeah. And Sydney United. Uh, or Sydney United 58, as they're now known. But he's a co-founder of sports intelligence agency Rupicon. Uh, Repticom, sorry. He boasts plenty of marketing sponsorship expertise, gleaned from dealings with the NBA, the NFL, the English Premier League, the Bundesliga, and La Liga. So it seems on the surface... I think he played in the 1999 NSL Grand Final, Sydney United and and uh, South Melbourne. And okay, I was there, yeah, so maybe I should know. No, no, he did, he did play. In fact... Uh, Johnny Ace scored the winner. 
Well, yeah, if you actually look at that game, there is a, a lot of fantastic people involved in that game. Obviously, Ange Postengogli coaching. Ante Milicic would have been out Ante there Ante Milicic, memory, yeah. yeah. And um, John Anastasiatis, the coach of Bentley Green, scoring a diving header. Two, came off the bench and scored two. It's worth having a bit of a look at. And Townsend does get a go. He gets, uh, gets a run. Before you get in, Rob, to mm. wind us up, the mm. problem that day is I want my Vitess Arnhem strip, which is black and yellow stripes. And I was getting abused by all the non ache fan, Greek fans in the stands. Yes, I said, it's, not, lot. it's not the yeah. team. It's yeah, the wrong yeah. team, guys. Yeah. Anyhow. Well, that's your fault, isn't it? Does that still fit you, that top? Not really, no. No, I didn't think so. Over to you, Rob. Pot's calling kettles black in this studio, by the way. Thank you, Mark. Next we're up, we're going to get Tom on the show, I'm sure. Yeah, we will. Melbourne Victory, as we've already alluded to, James Donachie. We're going to find out what happened with that tackle, but we're going to find out what happened with Victory at Adelaide, and uh, we're also going to talk some good news about the season ahead for the Victory in the A-League. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box. Now, Melbourne Victory's James Donachie started his career in sunny back Queensland. Debuted with the Brisbane Roar in the A-League, but he's been doing great stuff with the Victory since he joined the club for the 2016-17 season. But... A little disappointing after uh, the FFA Cup result of this week. James, uh, uh, we were hoping to welcome you to the show under different circumstances. Yeah, no, I hope uh, I wish it was different circumstances, but I guess uh, I guess that's the game and we have mm. to have to move on now. And it was a big result, though. I mean, uh, 3-0 against Adelaide United to a rebuilding after a, a, a disappointing uh, premiership defence last year. Uh, um, what did uh, Kevin Musket have to say in the rooms after the match? Yeah, not too much. Yeah, the boss was pretty quiet after the game. Um, as you suspect, obviously been knocked out of the cup, but I think he'll um, go back and watch the watch the game a few times and and uh, have a look at what we were what we were doing wrong and what we did well, and we'll probably all sit in on on Saturday and have a look and and watch it again. What do you think you did wrong, mate? What 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 uh, um, could you see immediately? You know, on the field. Yeah, to be honest, in uh, my opinion, our first half, I thought we did really well. I thought we were... Could have easily uh, been up. Yeah, easily been up. We had a few chances, controlled the game, and then second half we just started really poor and we kind of didn't uh, fix it early. Um, and then uh, they had two two good goals from outside the box and, and a penalty. Um, uh, look, we tried to we tried to play football, and we, I think we did in the first half, and then the second we kind of fell away from that, and that's we we come undone against a, an Adelaide side that I thought defended well and and you know stuck to their game plan. James, um, obviously one of the talking points out of the game was the incident that involved Mitch Austin. How how is he? Um, it was a big hit. Um, no one saw that coming, including Mitch. I doubt it. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think you saw that one. Uh, coming, but uh, yeah, no, he's alright. He's um, I was rumoured on the trip. I he just had to go through the the concussion procedures that are in place now, which is good to make sure that is um, all okay. But um, yeah, just a standard concussion precautions he'll take. But he he seemed he seemed he seemed well in, in the room anyway. He seemed just to run with his head down and didn't see Taylor Regan there. Uh, that's the way it looked on the video. Uh, do you have any? comments about that I, um, I'm not sure where you were and, and what you saw but he just seemed to be um, running at full tilt uh, with his head down and really didn't see Taylor there at all yeah yeah he's obviously a very a very quick lad um, he I think is, he yeah. you know just went to went to take off um, you know on the tackle or whether or not it had to be done is is 
I mean, that's Taylor Regan's decision on the night. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm a defender. I, I like doing uh, similar stuff, not to not to that extent. But I mean, each to their own. I'm not going to say it was a, a red card. Um, a foul was probably enough or a yellow. But either way, obviously, it's been blown a bit out of proportion. But um, the main thing is that he's okay and um, nothing was was you know severely damaged. I guess. Now your club and, and, and your gaffer uh, Muskie Kevin Musket always says that uh, you're in every competition to win, um, and in particular FFA Cup is something that uh, the club has has uh, set itself a target. So um, I think the football community was a little bit shocked to, to see that sort of result. Um, how was your how was the lead up to the game? We know it's very early in the season, pre-season. You know, he's uh, well and truly just started, really. So, what's it like from a player's perspective when you know the club makes statements like that, and then these these sort of matches come so early in the season? But um, quite frankly, there's always a lot riding on FFA Cup games. Yeah, big time. I think uh, you're right when you said we wanted to to win it. We wanted to go in. We wanted to win everything. And I think we've got a a squad. We had a squad to do that this year. You know, early on where. Uh, last season we had a few boys coming a bit late, uh, months before the season started. Whereas this year we we all have a really strong squad early early days. So um, yeah, I mean it's disappointing. It's disappointing uh, not to not to continue in that cup because it's a bit of silverware that we're missing out on. It sure is. And uh, we're talking to James Donachie from the Melbourne Victory. Another piece of silverware that you missed out on uh, reflecting. On the end of last season was the grand final, mate. That was an epic game. Uh, we uh, we've certainly sort of dissected uh, the entrails of, of that uh, that match, but um, you know this is the first time we've had you on the show. Uh, uh, can you just reflect on on that occasion? And uh, you know you lost a penalty shootout, heartbreaking uh, loss when it looked like you you had the game uh, uh, in your keeping. But uh, what what a night that was. Yeah, no, it was a it was a, a good night, and, and what I recall was a good game. Everyone I spoke to that watched the game said, you know, how high the intensity was, and it was a, a good game for the A League and uh, football in Australia. Uh, we in Adelaide actually they had the highlights on before before we left on the bus of the the penalty shootout, so mm-hmm. it was um, funny to to watch back on that. But I mean, yeah, I think I think we played really well in that game from you know what I can remember. Yeah, well, led for um, and, most of it. Yeah, and then got to got to penalties and and come undone, which is unfortunate. But you know, I think we can held our heads high from that night because we gave Sydney a, a good run, and I think we had them worried there for a bit. Now, um, normally at the start of a season, there's uh, lots of new players that influx into a club. Um, but Melbourne Victory, it's been an interesting off-season because obviously uh, you've got players returning They've to the club. They've got a new signing, James Troisi. Have, have you met him? <laughs> <laughs> but obviously Mark Milligan and Costa Barbarossa are back at the club after uh, after stints away and uh, and James Troisi, that little uh, merry-go-round that happened. Um, I know, James, uh, you, you weren't at the club when uh, Costa and... And Mark last played at the club, but what's it like? Uh, um, you must. The club generally knows those players, and, the, and, and most of the team will be very familiar with them. So, um, how's it been welcoming welcoming those past players back to the club? Yeah, no, I think they're they're both really um, good established players, and and um, I think that it kind of speaks highly of the club. You know, when a when a option comes that victory were. We're looking to sign them, and they jumped kind of straight back because um, they knew that they would be well looked after. And I know it's you know one of the best clubs in the country, so 
speaks highly of Melbourne Victory, and um, well, they're two, they're two very good signings and very good players. Absolutely. And what can you tell us about the Argentinian boy that's been signed? Uh, we understand he comes to the club with an enormous pedigree and um, some fantastic international experience at under 20, under 17, under 20 and under 23 level. Um, uh, I understand he's a defensive midfielder. What can you tell us about him? How's his English? Yeah, not too bad, actually. Not too bad. He can uh, string some sentences together, so it's not it's not too hard to talk to him at the moment. Um but no, he's good. He's he's been he's been in for a few weeks now. Obviously, he didn't come away to Adelaide, but um, uh, he looks like a very good player. Uh, just sharpening up a bit after an off season, but he's like you said, his his resume speaks for itself, really. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And uh, a big A League season ahead. We're still, uh, you know, a couple of months away in the the world's longest off season. Uh, how do you feel as a player with, with, uh, with you know? Admittedly, you you know you've got the FFA Cup. That's done now. Um, uh, with, with with so much time off football, um, preparing for the upcoming season. Yeah, it is it is a long season, so I guess you've got to you've got to be smart in terms of mentally not burning yourself out before it starts. Because we do mm. have in the A League a long time off, which is why you know you want to stay in that FFA Cup as long as possible because it gives you those competitive games. Um, but I'm sure <coughs> in the previous years we had the you know the inter the friendlies against the big clubs, but um, I mean, I'll leave it up to the, the staff if we can organise a few friendlies against other A-League clubs. Mm-hmm. I think we've got a, a game against Brisbane coming up. That'll that'll keep us sharp for the start of the season. And mate, before we wrap it up, um, you, uh, you've you been a member of um, of junior Australia squads, under 20s and under 23 level. Uh, we um, obviously have a, a, a senior squad of Socceroos, you know, chock full of, uh, of talent uh, your hopes uh, for, for the top level uh, I'm imagining as a, as a relatively young bloke still only 24 years old uh, you'd harbour some hopes to uh, to play in the green and gold again one day yeah definitely definitely one day whether I'm um, ready or not for that whether I need a, a good solid season under my belt or if it comes quickly I'd, uh, I'm not too sure but definitely definitely a goal of mine whether you know that comes soon or later is uh, up to up to the boss, but um, I think I think a good season that victory, mm. where if I play well every game would do me a world of good. Yeah, exactly. And we do know that Ange is watching the A League and will pick players from the A League if they're playing well. So uh, you know that opportunity is available for every uh, domestic player if he can uh, put a, a great season together on the park. James, thanks for joining us on the show, mate. Um, it's uh, a couple of months away, but we'll look forward to uh, to talking to you again. Hopefully, uh, you might, uh, for your sake, go you one better. circumstances. Yes. No worries. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Not at all, James. Good to talk to you. After the break, Dino's going to be back. We're going to talk the EPL. We're going to talk Wayne Rooney as well and get a few opinions on that. Just why did he retire? That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on the World Wide Web and, of course, our podcast on box to box ntscomau Dino is back. There's plenty of big news. The 
biggest story of which is the retirement from the international game of Wayne Rooney. Maybe he'll need some storage, Dean. He most probably will, I think. And where's he uh, going to go? With all, all his, <laughs> with all of his <laughs> storage, Kim, but with all of his uh, trophies and medals and, exactly. and shirts gonna, he's collected. Exactly. He's going to need a truck. He's going to need boxes. He's going to need packing materials. He's going to need a removalist. He's going to need everything. And he's he's going to need go. a storage container. Exactly. He's not going to have any nervous rashes about who to go to because that's where he is going to go to Storage King. Colleen will be ringing. I think maybe Colleen might just wait by the phone for somebody to uh, to call her when they will get one of our, our friends. Uh, if he Maybe he'll come down to Australia and play in the A-League uh, in his uh, sort of uh, Very twi- twilight years. years yeah, yes. yeah, in a couple of years' time once he's finished with Everton. Well, I know what uh, the boys at Storage King would have been thinking when mm. they heard Wayne Rooney um, had, ret- had, had issued the fact that he's no longer going to play international football for England. And they probably would have been thinking what I was thinking, which was there is more to it than that. Exactly. But if you need to get to Storage King, get onto the website, storageking.com.au or call 1-800-STORAGE. They are the kings of storage, moving and more. Dino, Edge was... You know, very anxious before we started the show he tonight was. to find out what your opinion was of what did you think. Now, when you first heard this, what mm. did you first think? Um, I thought it was, like, he's obviously been dropped out of the squad yes. in recent times and he's obviously been called back for his yes. unbelievable form at Everton, two goals in two games and etc. But I think I think my first thought is he wants to do it in his own time and he, he wants to make the decision that if you think back to Wayne Rooney's career there he's been much maligned at times and there's a big question of why you know uh, well his international career after Portugal where sadly in that uh, that tournament he, he broke his foot when he, he just lit up the stage and he had and he claims did. to being the best player yep. in the tournament at that point you know, it, there were a lot of disappointments in his uh, in his international career. He's been involved in um, in uh, uh, some of the you know the the most uh, underwhelming England performances in you know really English football history. Um, again, you could debate that. Um, oh, I don't know. If there's a lot of debate. No, no, I think no, you could. I think I think I think you could debate that. I mean, I think, and this is most probably what caught this story more more so for me than anything mm. else is that. Wayne Rooney, we were at the actual, both Edge and I were at his, mm-hmm. his actual debut when he, he first came out there. And, you know, I think he was on the 10th substitute, you know, was, 10 coming on, we're 10 like, coming who's on. Who's this bloke? Who's this one? Who's this one? He's got some freckles. But look, I mean, I've got family friends, obviously, uh, with Billy and um, Robbie, who are his uncles. And, you know, and they've been telling me from the day when he was a little kid, you know, that there was something special there. And and I think he has been special for for him to be the all-time England goal scorer. Don't, I don't care unless you've played in one international game or as many as he has. He's the top goal scorer for one of the biggest countries in in world football, irrespective of how successful England have been. Dino, I need to tell you what I my first thought. My first thought was, you wouldn't at 31 years of age, you wouldn't give away an opportunity to play for your country unless there was something that had pressed your buttons behind the scenes. There was definitely something's not right because I thought it was a, a strange decision because he's proved uh, with his first two games with Everton that he's got uh, he's, he's, he's got plenty of good football. Oh, now. look, at, look at 31 that. is not old. No. And uh, I just thought there must be something more to it behind the scenes. I, look, I think Wayne I think Wayne's decided. I mean, I don't know this. I've never met him, but I think he's 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 made a decision. He's left Manchester United. He didn't play very much last year. But again, their top scorer in, in the history of Man United, uh, beating Sir Bobby Charlton's record. He's the England now. Uh, He's a legend of the legend game. Legend of the game. Okay, just, and but, and but, I think more importantly, the other thing is, I think he wants to do it on his own terms. He's gone back to Everton where... Mm. 
He's, that's who he supports and he's going to concentrate on them and give them the very best chance to get them into Europe and maybe go and win something mm. so and I think yeah. that's what he's made his decision and he might have a few beefs like everybody does at times to time and he was dropped and now they're bringing him back and he's most probably only been brought back because he's been playing and he's been playing well but mm. I think I think you should judge your own career. You only get one crack at it. If he has regrets, well, he'll have them. Well, you mm. compare the way he's gone about it to Tim Cahill in terms of international mm. responsibility. But some people say that Rooney didn't look after his body. But there's a particular article that I refer to. Looking pretty good at the Phil, moment. Phil McNulty from the BBC wrote that, that, that sort of talks to the point that I made, uh, you know, that um, you know you could never question his desire or commitment. But... It just didn't happen for him at another tournament after Portugal. He missed the start of Euro 2012 through suspension after he was sent off in a qualifying Montenegro. And while he was actually one of England's better performers at the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, at last summer's Euro 2016, the abiding memory will be of abject humiliation on both occasions, failure to reach the knockout stage. You know, so you know, I don't think there's any question that that his his history in the England shirt. I don't shirt, think Wayne Rooney it, can it, carry the can for. I, I'm no, not. No, I'm sorry, Hodgson. But, but so you're putting you're putting wor- you're putting words into my mouth. All I'm saying is that he was involved it was the first time. In, in, that's true. <laughs> an underwhelming England squad over many years look and, and I think if you drill it a bit more further down I mean if you if you want to look at the facts uh, Wayne Rooney scored one goal yeah, in 11 appearances at World Cup finals mm. compared to you know people around him like Gary Lineker mm. scored 10 Alan yeah. Shearer scored 9 so that's the thing you're comparing at the end of the day mm. though he's, he's lasted the test of time mm. he's scored goals on a regular basis both for club and for country Talk about his body shape. If you ever looked at the Mori mm. family, they're mm. big units. Mm. I mean, they're all big units and mm. keeping your weight down and keeping trim and all mm. of that. But at the end of the day... He's no Cristiano tell you what, Ronaldo. Then, he might not be, but, <laughs> no, I, tell, but, he, but I tell you what, though, he still scored goals. And, you know, and I, he's a bull. Yeah. You know, and the great thing about football, you can be any shape or size, to be honest. But the ultimate tribute is to be called a player's player. And I think every tribute written about him in the past 48 hours has, has said that he was a player's player and a player that, uh, that every team he was involved in loved him you know players love to be alongside of him well you do you you look at some of the the the, the, you know the really good tributes to him is that you know most players that played with him wanted him in their team so you know for me well done Wayne and you know what it's up to you my boy and go and prove everybody this uh, this season that you're the player that we all thought you were when we first saw set eyes on you many 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 moons ago so now to the Premier League um, which obviously yeah that featured uh, Another Everton uh, victory this week. Um, or draw. Oh, sorry, draw. Uh, but scored the goal and I think they got one late. Uh, mm-hmm. Man United, again, in unbelievable form. Um, what a performance there. Again, Swansea, let's not get overly carried away there. Very, very light on with regards to uh, their players and losing Sigerson to Everton, mm-hmm. now a new teammate. I think Swansea are in desperate trouble if they don't sign something really, really quickly in this window. Um, well, they were sort of they were trying to get the season deal done, and I imagine they've got a queue of uh, potential signings, haven't they? I thought it was interesting. Stoke uh, ten in Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenal was interesting. That was a disaster. Not us. a happy hunting ground for Arsenal, mm. um, but I suppose the highlight, especially for all of us, is uh, Huddersfield Town and Aaron Moy. Mm. Not only the performance, but the goal. I mean, I'm what, sure many of our listeners. What a super goal! 
Yeah, that was. I'm sure many of our listeners have uh, watched that uh, on replay uh, uh, on their website, on, the, on their computers, etc. Um, and I'm sure many of our listeners saw Manchester United. Uh, you talked about Swansea's troubles, but they did look pretty powerful in the second half. By uh, but for a team that just scraped in in a penalty shootout uh, through the qualifiers, they're playing like well, Peter, aren't they? Look, I think the it's the new signings. Well, I think the yeah. new signings have made a big, big difference. And you know, Wagner, you know, they you, you just. I mean, look. On the one side, Jurgen Klopp hasn't set the world on fire at Liverpool, but uh, but Wagner just seems to be something of a of a manager. He uh, he he's got the the package. The the he's beaten Palace and Newcastle. Mm. I mean, so look, I'll, I'll give go, I, I'm a slightly <laughs> different view on, um, on on the Liverpool situation. I think he's done quite Klopp's done quite a good job. I think mm. I, you know, and I think that's why he wants to keep Coutinho, mm. you know, and you wouldn't want to lose him because he's going to be mm. hard to replace. Mm. Um, and I think you know they're in Europe, so which is an, another big you know thing that Liverpool fans have been waiting for for a long time to get mm, back in there yeah, in a regular yeah. basis and I think the other the other interesting result was Tottenham's defeat at home yeah, at Wembley to yeah. Chelsea yeah. and again you know they struggled in the Champions League there last year and again they've struggled there. right at home at Wembley does it uh, well they, there was an article there where they talked about the crowd and the amount of atmosphere and they put really a lot behind it but it's, they just said it's just not White Hart Lane so what about Everton Drawing with Man City. Yeah, look, as I say, you know, they were leading for a good while, and then an equaliser. Um, I think it was Sterling that got the equaliser, and and you know what, it was a good job they did because City would have got off to a really really slow start, you know, uh, for for their standards. And I think it really like boards really well now for this week's, you know, most probably the preview that we look at. <laughs> There's some interesting games, it's isn't right there? It's one off the top, Dino. I mean, we're we're at round three, and we're looking at a game that's got enormous importance for these two clubs, Crystal Palace and Swansea City. I tell you, pretty it's round. Can I just remind you, we're at the third game of the season and the desperation stakes are on already. Well, they are. I mean, Crystal Palace, no points. Uh, Swansea, one point, And it, it's a massive game. You know, Huge. Swansea win, go four points. They'll go halfway to the table and Palace will be stuck there. And in that frame, the other one is Newcastle United and West Ham. West Ham, what about their start to the season? Well, again... West Ham. I know. Another, and this is what well, the Billich pressure does. Billich was under a lot of pressure last well, season. Well, he was. Yeah, they he was. lose this week. They, I, 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 want to, I want to mention about uh, Rafa the Gaffer. I feel sorry for him. He was promised publicly mm. by his chairman that the funds he got, he could spend. Mm. And they haven't spent it. And he's gone back on his word. And there's a big disconnect there. It would not surprise me if he goes on his own accord, very, very shortly. Well, especially mm. after he stuck around when they... Absolutely, did all the right things. I mean, he could have easily gone and got a big job somewhere else, but this is a big job. It's a yeah. big club, but it's got yeah, a Yeah, I guess that's the thing, whether it's football, sport, business, no matter. If, if someone looks you in the eye, shakes your hand, says they're going to do something, and no, then they it's, renege... It's, the Newcastle chairman's well known for saying things to uh, make the fans uh, think he's a hero and not delivering. But isn't it he's interesting... Made a career of it. Isn't it interesting, though, that like the game of the round is Huddersfield against Southampton? I was going to say, second at, the v seven, the table, good at the top of the table... Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, the other game that uh, stands out is Liverpool and Arsenal, and Arsenal travel to the cop with a little bit of pressure on them. There is a bit of pressure there, uh, but again, you know, that's they'll have to bounce back from Stoke. What about Chelsea and Everton? Yeah, I mean, again, it's a, it's a, I fancy Everton, I really do. I Me think, too. I I think, think Everton, Everton are in yeah. really good form, and, uh, you know... And if they do actually turn them over, then all of a sudden, you know, you're talking about Everton being in the top four. And Matty Ryan, mm. um, two losses for Brighton uh, in his first two games. There mm. is a question mark over a goal that he conceded in both games that he might be fingered for. But uh, Brighton, they've got to go to Watford, who've um, been OK. 
Now, just to finish, we'll just touch on the championship just to just to close it in. Cardiff leading the table with Ipswich mm. Town. So it's uh, Cardiff versus Queen's Park Rangers, 1v6. Uh, the other big game at the moment, which is quite surprising to me, Nottingham Forest fourth against Leeds five. Um, and then realistically after that, it's really down the bottom is where your Brentford, your Millwalls, your Bolton, your and Burton Albion, which have obviously, with the win, got out of the relegation zone. Big games for those three clubs to not lose touch, even at this early your, stage. your mob, Derby County, uh, go up the road to Sheffield. Yeah, always difficult going to Sheffield, but uh, hopefully uh, the Rams will get a result and push into those uh, playoff spots. So you say Rams, I say sheep shakers. <laughs> <laughs> Classy edge. Stick around, Dino, because uh, we're going to do a few... Uh, of your little gossip bits in stoppage time. Uh, I know Mark's got something up his sleeve. I know he has, Harry so Kill. that'll be good, yep. Yeah, all right. Well, that's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. And the fourth official signals, there is a rather lengthy stoppage time. Nine minutes. We've got Dino in the studio. We've got plenty to talk about. But before we get into it, you may have heard about probiotics, but what are they? Probiotics are Things live... for your guts. Gut Correct. <laughs> Bacteria that naturally occur in certain foods like yogurt, fermented vegetables, and even sauerkraut. I do like sauerkraut with pork. Not in triple cheeseburgers? Yeah. Bang Hel- out of luck. Healthy Care Kids Probiotic from Chemist Warehouse contains 10 million live probiotic bacteria that may help to support healthy digestive function as well as help to assist in the maintenance of healthy immune system function. You may even find probiotics beneficial for lowering blood pressure and lessening the effects of gingivitis. Healthy Care Kids Probiotic Powder 60 grams is just $16.99 at Chemist Warehouse, so get along there and get it for your kids. Keep them healthy. Gut health, very important. Always read the label. Use only as directed. Vitamin supplements should not replace a balanced diet. Chemist Warehouse, lowest prices are guaranteed, gentlemen. And what is guaranteed when stoppage time comes around is some uh, unexpected behaviour from the panel guests here, from the <laughs> likes of Mark Van Aken, Dean is in the studio. Gentlemen, how are we going to start this? Well, I want to cover this one because it's a funny story, but it's also a worrying one, I would have thought. It appears UAE outfit Al Shabha? Shasha? Yeah, Shasha? Shasha? No, it's not Shasha. Has gotten confused <laughs> as to which McGowan brother they've actually signed. Now, of course, Aussie Ryan McGowan was confirmed as the new Shasha player on Sunday after completing a move from Guangzhou Xingqing in China. And the 28-year-old had been in China since 2016-year-old after signing uh, for Henan Yinye from Dundee United in Scotland. I'm butchering this. But anyway, however, upon Shazhar's announcement of McGowan signing, they used a highlight reel of the wrong McGowan <laughs> via their official Twitter page. The only Mate, problem is... Aussies look all the same, don't they? they do. That's right, white people. <laughs> hey, there are actually highlights of his brother, Dylan, who played at Adelaide United last season. Dylan found the funny side of the situation, though, and posted a tweet. But this is serious. So it's pretty funny. Right? No, I'd say it's a media but, person's done the wrong thing. I was going to say, are they sure? They, like, they're just covering the tracks now. Are they sure they've Probably. signed the right bloke? Listen, there's lots of times as a manager. Every time you, you, well, like you've signed players, you think, have I signed the right bloke? <laughs> well, it is. Like actually, well, look at, no, I, 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 I like think it has happened in professional football in the old days. Yeah, I think they've just signed the wrong bloke. But the scout got it wrong. <laughs> they've signed him. Oh, dearie me. Now, Ali Abbas is returning to the A-League after signing a deal this with Wellington story. Phoenix. Now, he's a 30-year-old. Joins him on a two-year contract. The Iraqi international has been a free agent since leaving Korean outfit, the Pohang Steelers, at the start 
start of the year. Abbas, a former Newcastle Jet and Sydney FC player, is now back in the A-League for his third time. He said he had offers around Asia, but the lure of the Kiwi capital was just uh, too enticing for him, boys. Did very well when he came back from his Rico. Uh, and, you know, Hugely popular really, too. Yeah, yeah, very popular with the players. And certainly the, when he was at Sydney, he was very popular with the crowd, you know. Nice, safe signing for Wellington. And another non-Kiwi signing, because the club has said, you know what, we're going to stop signing Kiwis, which is a problem. Because <laughs> uh, FFA, amongst all their other faults, don't recognise FIFA dates. So, uh, anywho, Michael, you had something there, or were you just sniffing? Sniffling? No, 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 no I'm just interested talk. to see what you're going to talk about next. Well, let's get into this one. Harry Kuehl is officially in charge of the worst team in the English Football League, with Crawley Town left stranded in 24th spot in League Two after three winless outings. He's got a five-year plan. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not sure he's going to get to see it out. Kuehl, in his first senior management position, is now in the precarious position of ensuring Town do not drift too far south in the relegation battle into the abyss, of course, non-league football, where you talk about teams that drop from the Prem down to uh, the Championship and it takes a long time to get back. Getting out of the league, mm. that is that is an abyss. Well, I did it's predict the Bermuda Triangle. a couple of weeks ago that did, Harry was going to be, in 20 years' time, the manager that took Australia to the semi-finals at the very least of the World Cup. So, you know, he's starting um, at the bottom and he's got a... Uh, look, you get, the only way is up. Dino, um, all things England, we go to the Oracle, that's you. Uh, for the listeners around Australia, what sort of club is Crawley Town? How big, small? No, not particularly big. Um, down in the south, um, they've only been in the football league, I would say, oh, would it be about six, seven, eight years, something like that. They were a non-league club, uh, but like a lot of these non-league clubs, they the, the gap between there and the, say the second division is. Do you reckon Harry's living in Crawley Town? Um, it's not be, too far out of London, is it? I know it's, it's not very far at all, and he'll be living in some really nice uh, <laughs> accommodation, I'm sure. But look, I think we've we've talked about Harry and about his first job, and I said it was always the best choice for me to choose that type of vehicle. I still do because he's learning. I mean, if he was at a big club now, let's say in the gone, championship, maybe. he'd be gone now. They'd be going, well, this is not working. He needs time to work it out. And you know what? As good a player as he was and as much as the time he's spent at Watford and all of the above, nothing but nothing gets you prepared than when you're the gaffer and you have to make all the decisions and it's on your head. And it's, let me tell you, you've got your best assistants, you've got your backroom staff, you've got everything around you, but it's a lonely, lonely position, especially when it's going wrong. Mark, and we've uh, all been there, all will of you, us. Will you talk to the... Um... Crawley Town media manager during the week to see if we can get Harry on and uh, quiz him on how things are going. Yeah, look, he's reasonably accessible these days, Harry. Um, In look- fact, we might have him now. Hello, Harry. <laughs> no, we don't. No, Harry's got a bit of a cold, so I don't think he's going to be able to do that. Harry's about to die in the corner. That's it. So talk about a question without notice. Are we cutting that out? Or? Yeah. No, it's all right. No, I think that was the answer to the question. He was Harry in the studio. Yeah, you know, yeah. Again, no, you know, come with it, come with a foo during the week. But, again, it's disappointing start to the year. Again, don't understand why a boy from Sydney who grew up in Yorkshire got Cockney accent. But, again, what can you do? It's because he used to watch EastEnders a lot. It's because he went out with a marriage. Emmerdale Farm. Farm. She was on. Anyway, back to this. On on the serious note with this, because it's a point you made. I always felt that Harry... Because of his name, because of his reputation, like Ange has got ambitions to go coach in Europe, and, yeah. and of course he'd be known because he won the Asian Cup. But ultimately, they're not going to know Ange's career and you know playing for South Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so these guys that have played in this so-called golden generation, and he's the goldenest of them all, he has credibility. Um, played in the Champions League final. Correct. Played in it for 15 minutes. Um, 
But no, in all seriousness, was one of the mm-hmm. top two or three left-sided players in football Absolutely. for two or three seasons. Unbelievable. So he's, he's, he's very well known. Obviously, Liverpool fans will have opinions on him. Leeds, will have, Leeds fans will have opinions on him. But again, he's a name. So straight away, he comes with a certain cachet and credibility. So if he can succeed, he's the better chance. Like, with all due respect, um, Ange, um, Cosy, whoever it might be, or that cause oh, of course. There's no doubt. And, you know and, again, I mean? and so again, it's disappointing for me that he's not doing well. Look, we, we don't want him. We, we, we want it, him to. We know. We, oh, well, we, no, that's we, what we do in the show. We want him to be um, successful. I mean, hmm. I said it was the right decision, uh, and it still is. And I was being fair to him a couple of weeks ago that, that he's the right age to go through the system to become a, a successful manager of an Australian side at the age of 50, 60 odd. So, I mean, he uh, got a cup game and they got beat, didn't they? They got hmm. smacked at they Birmingham. They did at Birmingham. So that's the problem. So they've lost three in the league. The and they've cup. lost a cup game. Yeah. So I can t- tell you the results. So they opened the season losing 5-1 in the league cup away to Birmingham. They opened the season in the league 3-1 with a home loss to Port Vale. And they lost to Cheltenham Town last weekend. And I think they've also had a loss, in fact, the weekend before. And then Cambridge United, who are a similar team to them, not doing well at the start of the season. That was one of those six-point games. And they still went down 1-0. So it's not going well for Harry, but let's hope it uh, is on the improve. Now, this is an interesting one. After Barca were exposed by Paris Saint-Germain's uh, Neymar departure, Real Madrid will not make the same mistakes dealing with their prized assets. But it is a buyout clause that will come with Isco's new deal that has stolen the headlines. Marza reports in the, Span- the Spanish new contract, which will run to 2021, will include a 700 million euro buyout clause. That is certainly covering your ass there, Dino, <laughs> is it not? It certainly is. All right, good night, boys. Good night. Good night, Rob. It's good night from me, and it's good night from him. And that is full time on Box to Box. Join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to, to the, the other. other. From Saitama to Amy Park in Melbourne. It's I'll be going calling to be in from Saitama. Yeah, you Arigato, Mr. Roboto. That's it. You'll be our correspondent. The three of us will all be here. And when we call you, Edge, we expect you to take our call next week on Box to Box.